0: You're listening to Liar, a sermon series about the lies of the devil. For more information about Elevate Church, please visit us online at www.elevatechurch.ms. We're starting a brand new series today that we're titling Liar, Liar. Now, how many of you know a liar? Liar. Anybody, don't point. Uh, but we all, we all pretty much, we all pretty much know uh, a liar. And the truth of the matter is, when we know somebody who has a history of lying, or somebody who just has a reputation of lying, you know what? Sometimes we say is we say, you know what? I'm never going to listen to that person again. How many of y'all have ever said that? You're never going to listen to this person again. They are a liar. And so a lot of us have said that. But what happens all too often is is before too much time has passed. Before too much time has passed, we realize that we're believing more lies from the same person that we said we were never going to listen to again. Anybody, you know what I'm talking about? Like you said, I'm through with that person. I'm through with them. I'm never going to listen to them again. But again, before long, anybody, just me, y'all pray for me, just a couple of us. We start listening to the same person over and over and over again. I have a tendency of believing the same lie over and over again. At my house, uh, we've got one of those washing machines that basically tells you uh, how much time is left in the wash. And so before you think we got like a real expensive washing machine, that joker's like 10 years old. Okay, so it's old. Uh, And so I'll walk into the laundry room and we'll have a load of clothes in there. And it'll say, you got one minute left. And so I don't want to leave the clothes in the washing machine, because if you do, they're going to be all stank when you get back home. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, one minute. That's 60 seconds. I can wait right here. I can throw the clothes in the, from the washing machine into the dryer, and then I can leave. So I'll stand there waiting on that minute to go by. One minute. One minute. And that minute you know, goes by. Two minutes go by. Three minutes go by four minutes, five minutes go by and I'm still standing there. Seven minutes will go by and I'm tired of standing there waiting on this computer that obviously doesn't know how to tell time. And so I'm like, well, I'm going to go sit down on the couch for just a second because again, I don't want the clothes to be stinky when I come home. And as soon as I sit down on the couch, you know what'll happen? That thing will buzz telling me that the clothes are done. And I'm like, you did that on purpose. I start talking to my washing machine like it's an actual person. I'm like, why do you do this to me? I hate you. Anybody, ever do stuff like, that just for me? All right, I'm crazy. All right. But anyway, so so I'm like, man, why are you doing this? And so what usually happens is, again, I'll, I'll that'll happen. I'll say I'm never going to listen to my washing machine again, but I'll be getting ready to leave and I'll go over there to the washing machine and it'll say one minute left. So I'll wait and I'll wait and I'll wait and I'll wait. I believe the same lie over and over and over again. And the truth of the matter is for all of us. Oftentimes we, we have a pattern, we have a history of of just believing the same lies over and over and over again. And the real problem with that is that we've got an enemy who knows that. We've got an enemy who knows that we often believe the lies that are told to us. We've, we've got an enemy who knows how vulnerable we are to lies. Jesus said this about our enemy in John chapter 8, verse 44. He said, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks his native language, for he is a Liar and the father of lies. Satan is a liar, and he lies to you, he lies to me, he lies to us because he wants to keep us from drawing close to God. The devil wants to keep you from becoming who it is that God wants you to become. Satan, his ultimate goal is to destroy you, to kill you. He wants to steal from you. That is his Plan. And so in this series, we're gonna be looking at some of the lies that Satan wants us to believe. And and the liar's lie that we're gonna look at today is really just four words. It's four words, but the truth of the matter is these four words are some of the most discouraging words that you'll ever hear in your life. These four words cause depression, these four words will cause fear. These four words are toxic and they will cause anxiety. They will drain you of the energy that it takes for you to cope with the situation that comes your way, to all the, all the things that come your way, this, these four words will oftentimes, they will, they will cause panic. They will cause you to be paralyzed. Sometimes they will do all those things at one time. And so the four words, the lie that we're going to look at today of Satan is this. It's just too late. It's just too late. It's just too late for you to do something about your health. It's just too late for you to do something about your marriage. It's just too late for you to have a close family again. It's just too late for your kids because they've made way too many choices, too many bad choices. It's just too late for things to get better. It's just too late for you to be happy. I mean, you want to be happy, but things have been bad for so long. It's just too late. Come on, this is this is a universal Disease. How many of you have ever felt like it was just too late in any situation in your life? If you're not raising your hand, something's wrong with you. Because the truth of the matter is, we all sometimes feel that way. And listen, if you have ever felt that way, this really should be encouraging to you. But every single person in the Bible, every single person in the Bible that I have I've found, that I've really studied, had, had reasons to believe that it was just too late in their life. See, see the, the devil, Satan, oftentimes when he tells us that it's just too late, he has a lot of evidence that he can give to us that kind of proves his point. He has a lot of things that he tells us and we're like, man, he's right, he's right, he's right. Think about Peter. Think about Peter in the Bible. Peter, Peter could have said, you know what? I failed too often. I failed publicly. I denied Jesus three times It's just too late for things to get turned around in my life. So I'm going back to my old way of life. Think about Job. He could have said, it's just too late. I've lost everything. I've lost my wealth. I've lost my family. I've lost everything. It's just too late. Think about Jonah. Jonah, we did a whole study on him not too long ago. Man, that that Joker, he ran from God. He's on a ship and the people on the ship, they reject him, right? They throw him overboard. He wants to die. He's sitting there in the water in a A whale swallows him. A fish swallows him. You know what I mean? And again, he wants to die, but the whale rejects him. The whale literally throws him up on dry land. How many of y'all have ever been rejected by a fish, by a whale? No. That's bad, right? When you get rejected by a fish. He could have said, man, it's just too late. Abraham could have said, you know what? It's too late. I'm too old. Lazarus could have said, you know what? It's too late. I'm too dead. He could have said that. And Today, the person that I really want us to look at that could have said it was just too late is a guy by the name of Moses. A guy by the name of Moses. If you've got your Bible and you want to turn there, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 14. It's going to take us a little second to to get there because I want to give you a little background about Moses because really there are there are four things we need to understand about Moses. These won't be on the screen, but they'll, they'll help you. Uh, if there was anybody, again, who could have said it was just too late, it was Moses. And the first thing I want you to see about Moses is that Moses really was, he was a, he was a child of privilege. Moses really was a child of privilege. He was a prince in Egypt. He had wealth. He had education. He had power. Moses, Moses was handsome. He really was, he, he, was, a, he was a looker. The, the ancient historian Josephus says that Moses was so handsome that, that people would stop and find a reason just to look at him. He was, he was so handsome that we actually found a picture of Moses uh, online. Uh, I think we're gonna show it up on the screen for you right there in just a minute. Look at that guy, isn't he handsome? He was handsome. He was a, he was a looker, man. He was a child of privilege. All right, y'all take that off the screen, y'all ain't gonna be able to pay attention. So here's the deal. Not only that, not only that, but 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 here's the thing. He had a background of failure. That's the second thing you need to know about Moses. He had a background of failure when he was 40 years old. He makes a huge mistake. He tries to do God's work his way. He tries to do God's work his way and he makes a terrible mistake and he loses everything. He loses his position. He loses his wealth. He loses everything. And he probably thought, you know what? All that stuff I had was for nothing. And for 40 years, for 40 years, you know what happens to Moses? He becomes a, he becomes a, I never will. He starts to think, you know what? I'll never do anything great. I'll never do what my mom told me. I'll, I'll never be able to do anything great. It's too Late. The third thing you need to know about Moses is that the odds were stacked against him. They really were. See, See, we don't really know what Moses looked like, We don't, but we know what Pharaoh looked like. See, the Pharaoh that's talked about in the book of Exodus here is probably Ramesses II, and Ramesses II had millions of slaves, millions of people that he would force to build gigantic monuments about him. Look at this. This guy was everywhere. He was intimidating, and so God is telling Moses, this guy who has nothing, this guy who has lost it all, he's telling Moses to go to the most influential person in the world, the most powerful, powerful person in the world. And he's telling him to, he's telling Moses, tell Pharaoh to let 2 million people go. 2 million people who are doing free work for Pharaoh. He's saying, let those people go. Not Not only that, but this man is not just powerful. Ramesses II was probably one of the most arrogant people in the world because when Moses tells Pharaoh, hey, Uh, God said you need to let his people go. You know how Pharaoh responds? He says, who is the Lord that I should listen to him? Well, God being God overhears this, right? And so God decides, well, you know what? I'm gonna show Pharaoh exactly who I am. I'm going to send 10 plagues, 10 incredible demonstrations of who he is to Pharaoh. And so eventually Pharaoh decides to let the people of Israel go. They get out, they leave. And so 2 million people are free. 2 million people get out of Egypt and they get out of there fast. And so as I see this happening in my mind, 2 million people leaving somewhere. Let me just ask you, would 2 million people be a long line? That'd be a long line, right? That would, be, that would be a long line. And so I imagine these two million people, they're walking, and really the only people who can see where they're going are the people up front. The people that are behind them are really just following those people. And so the two million people, they are walking, and eventually they stop. Why? Because they come to the Red Sea. Because they come to the Red Sea, and so I don't know if you've ever been in a line where people in front of you stop, and then what happens, you know, the people that are behind you, you know, behind them kind of bump into them, and then they bump into you. You ever ever been in a line like that where it stops and people just bump into you, bump into you, bump into you? Man, that's why I don't go Good Friday shopping, or Black Friday shopping, not Good Friday shopping, but Black Friday shopping. That's why I don't do that. I remember when I was in high school, my mom dropped me off at Walmart in Jackson to pick up a bike for my nephew. I didn't realize she was throwing me to the wolves, you know what I'm saying? Because man, that line just kept getting bigger and bigger. so when they open those doors, man, all the people are trying to get inside, you know, but only so many people can get in a door at one time. And so behind me, there's people just pushing, pushing and really directly behind me is this elderly lady with a buggy. And I look back there and she's just, like, ah, she's just bumping into me, bumping into me. So, so I just avoid that type of thing. So two million people, they stop. And I imagine the last person in line bumps in to the, to the last person, you know, and the person that's in the front of the line, he says, you know what? Uh, he says, we're stuck. We can't go anywhere. The red seas in front of us. And so he turns around to the next person and he says, pass it back. We can't go forward, pass it back. And so as this message is getting passed down the line, the person that was at the end of the line, he turns around and guess what he sees? He sees Pharaoh and he sees Pharaoh and his army coming. You know what I'm saying? And they didn't have cell phones. They didn't have Facebook where you can just update your status and let everybody know, hey man, we stuck. We in trouble. And so he's saying, man, we got to move forward. The Pharaoh and his army's coming past it up. So imagine this. You've got bad news coming from this way saying, hey, we can't go forward. The Red Sea's in front of us. You've got bad news coming from this way. Hey, we got to hurry up and go forward because Pharaoh is coming. Can you imagine being the person in the middle of the line hearing all this bad news at one time? That is a bad news. It's a bad day. They can't go forward. They can't go back. They can't go to the side because there are mountains on each side of them. They're thinking we're stuck. They're thinking it's too late. They're thinking we can't go back. They're thinking there's nothing else that we can do. We can't change our course again. It's too late. And we've all heard that lie before in our life. And so, today, for the rest of the time that we have together, I want to give you five destructive ways to respond to that lie that it's just too late, and five, uh, five, five ways, five proper ways that we really should respond to that lie, that, that lie, five ways that will wreck your life, and five ways that will lead your life into great destinations, in great directions. And so here we go, if you're keeping notes, we're gonna talk about the five destructive responses first. And so here's the thing, the first, the first bad response, destructive response to the lie that it's just too late, is just looking only at your current circumstances. Only looking at your current circumstances. If you think it's too late, the worst thing you can do is only look at your current circumstances. See, here's what's interesting. Again, in Exodus chapter 14, in verse 10, look at what the Bible says. The Bible says this. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them, and they were terrified. They were terrified. See, see the Israelites stopped looking at God in this moment. They stopped looking at God. They, they failed to realize this was the God who had provided 10 plagues, 10 miraculous demonstrations of his power. This was the God who promised to give them a land overflowing with milk and honey. This is, they had failed to look at God and they're just looking at their current situation and it messes them up completely. So the first wrong way to look at things when it's just too late for you is just to look at what's going on around you. The second bad response is this, to start blaming everyone else, to start blaming everyone else. And Look at verse 11 in Exodus chapter 14, and this is really sarcasm at its greatest. Here's what they said. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? See, they leave Egypt. And when they leave Egypt, they're happy. They're singing. Man, they're leaving with gold and silver. You know what I mean? They're they're rolling out of there. They're excited about what what has happened to them. But now that things have gotten tough, now that things have gotten rough, they're looking at Moses and they say, what have you done to us? What have you done to us? They just want to blame Moses. Everyone else, they want to blame someone else for their problems. And I don't know if you know this or not, but we live in a society that teaches you to do that very same thing. We live in a society that says it's always someone else's fault. Your mom didn't hug you enough. That's why you're so messed up. You didn't get a cookie in class. That's why you're so bad in class. Somebody did this. Somebody did that. It's always someone else's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. Satan wants us to blame others. Why? Because if that's all we ever do, we're stuck. We're stuck. If all we ever do is blame other people, we're stuck. But you know what Teddy Roosevelt, one of the greatest presidents that the United States has ever had once said? Here's what he said. He said, if you could kick the person in the pants responsible for most of your trouble, you wouldn't sit for a month. That's what he said. It's us. But we say the reason my marriage is messed up is because of my spouse. We say the reason I'm having financial troubles is because AT and T UVerse costs $250 a month. We want to blame somebody else for our problems, and that leads us to the third destructive response when we feel like things are just too late, and that is we develop a negative attitude. Develop a negative attitude. Again, look at what they say in verse 12. Check this out. It says. Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone. Let us serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Now, now were the Israelites really telling Moses that when they were in Egypt? Were they really saying, hey, man, this, this is great, man. We're getting whooped with whips. You know, We're just being beat into submission. This is great. Let us stay right here. Was that what they were really saying? No. They were saying, Moses, we want out of here, but... But here they are, they're wallowing around in self-pity. Why is this happening to us? Why me? Why me? Why me? And their self-pity really messes up their entire perspective. And it calls them not to see their future properly, and it calls them not to see their past properly. If things were so great when they were slaves, why? Why were they crying out to the Lord for him to deliver them? Why? If things were so great, they couldn't even see things properly because they had developed a negative perspective. And that leads them to the fourth destructive response, and that is they start making rash, unhealthy decisions. They start making rash, unhealthy decisions. Now, I don't know if you're like me, uh, but a lot of times when I start having problems, when I start having difficulties, I tend to make uh, more poor decisions. You know what I mean. I just kind of add problem on top of problem on top of problem. Anybody else? Just me. Okay. A couple of us. Pray for us. All right. So here's the deal. How many of y'all know? Have you ever played that game, Dr. Mario? you I don't know what that is. Oh my goodness, man. Y'all, it's Call of Duty ain't got nothing on this game, man. And so it's a classic. It's a classic. Well, me and Amanda, we'll be playing Dr. Mario. And if you don't know anything about that game, what it is is there's like these little bugs. There's these viruses. And so there are these pills that get dropped. It's like a Tetris game, you know? And so you drop these colors down on these viruses. And if you get four in a row, four of the same color in a row, it'll make the viruses disappear. And the object of the game is to make all of the viruses disappear first. But the problem is, is that as you're playing your opponent, the person you're playing, they can throw all these colors that you don't want in your way And so i'll be playing that game and with amanda and she is like the dr. Mario queen, okay? She really is and so i'll be playing that game with amanda and then all of the sudden man I'll make a bad decision I'll put i'll put a pill in the wrong place and I got these wrong colors going on And so i'm trying to fix this problem. I'm trying to fix this dilemma And so I start making other issues more problems for me anybody else Are you like that sometimes I do that with dr. Mario, but I also do that with my my life sometimes. And so you know what God would tell us to do when we're going through something difficult and we just don't know what to do? God would say, don't do anything. God would say, wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Instead of making unhealthy decisions, wait on the Lord. Instead of making decisions when your mind is not clear, wait on the Lord. Instead of making decisions when you're not thinking clearly, wait on the Lord. The Israelites are looking at their current circumstances and they're blaming everyone else. They've got a negative attitude and so they're making rash, unhealthy decisions and that leads them to the fourth bad decision and that is they simply want to give up. They want to give up. They're ready to accept Defeat. God must have just wanted us to die right here. It's over. It's too late. Give up. And that's exactly what the enemy wanted. That's exactly what Satan wanted to happen. You know why? Because if the Israelites give up right there, and if the Israelites are killed right there, you know what? The Messiah can't come. Jesus can't come. So Satan wanted them to give up, and he wants you to give up. He wants us to. To quit. How many of you have ever heard uh, uh, of a guy by the name of John Kennedy Toole? Anybody? 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 A couple people there. Well, so he wrote a book. Uh, he wrote a book that was that was pretty good. Uh, and so when he wrote this book, he's trying to get it published. In 1969, he's, he's he's trying to get this book published, and everywhere he went to try to get this book published, you know, he kept getting met with rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection. And so finally, in 1969, he gives up. He gives up on his dream, but his mother doesn't. His mother continues to shop that book around to try to find a publisher, shop that book around. And she's met with rejection after rejection after rejection until she hears that, the, that Louisiana State University is starting a, a printing press. And so she sends the book to them because John Kennedy Toole is from New Orleans and so she's thinking maybe that'll help them. And so Louisiana State University, they decide to print that book. They print that book and in 1981, In 1981, John Kennedy Toole, his book, A Confederacy of Dunces, it wins the Pulitzer Prize. It wins the Pulitzer Prize, but he didn't accept the award. His mom did. You know why? Because in 1969, when he gave up on that dream, he not only gave up on that dream, but he gave up on life. And he took a gun and he put it to his head and he pulled the trigger. He pulled the trigger. He gave up on a dream. 12 years too early. If he just wouldn't have given up, he'd have seen his dream come true beyond his wildest imagination, but he gave up. He thought it was just too late. These people, they, the Israelites, they look to Moses, and Moses looks to God, and, and God says to Moses, let me give you five proper ways. Let me give you five proper ways that you tell the people of Israel they need to respond. So if you're keeping notes, you want to write these down, we got to hurry. Let's go. Here we go. The first thing. The first proper response when you feel like it's just too late is do not fear. Do not fear. The Israelites, again, when they're boxed in, they they start to be afraid. And so look at what Moses says in verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. See, fear, see fear and anxiety, man, it will rob you again of what it takes to cope with the situations that come your way in life. Fear, again, magnifies our problem. Fear makes us impatient. Worry makes us, again, impatient. Fear and worry cause so many physical uh, ailments to our body. Did you know that? That fear and worry will mess your body up and cause you to have health issues. Anybody know that? And so you'll be fearing, you'll be worrying, you'll be, you'll be stressed out, and then you'll have some friend come to you and say, hey, man, you don't need to worry, man. You're going to give yourself a heart attack. And you're like, well, great. That's just something else to worry about. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Man, that's how it is. Sometimes fear, fear is never stopped until it's replaced. Fear is never stopped until it's replaced. And the only thing that replaces fear is faith. Faith. It's faith. And faith is a choice. See, you can react to the difficult situations that come your way with fear, or you can respond to those situations with faith. And faith is a big deal because Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, it is impossible to please God without faith faith. We need faith. Faith, that word is mentioned over 485 times in the New Testament alone. It is a big deal. Faith gives you confidence to move forward. Faith actually determines what God can and will do in your life. You need to see this in Matthew chapter 9, verse 29. Jesus says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. The proper response when we feel like things are over and things are just, it's just way too late, is to say, you know what? We're not going to fear. The second proper response is this, to take your stand. Take your stand. Look at the Bible again in verse 13. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. Moses is telling the people right here, it's going to take guts. It's going to be difficult. It's going to take determination. We've got to go in the right direction, even when the right direction looks tough. See, folks, rarely, rarely is the right road the easy road. Rarely. Rarely is the right road the easy road. The Israelites were gonna have to go through the Red Sea, so God didn't want them to fear. God wanted them to take a stand. And the next thing that God wanted them to do was to rely on God's promises. Rely on God's promises. Look at verses 13 and 14. The Bible says this, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Moses is telling these people, hey man, get get off of my back. Stop being afraid. God is working for you right now, even though you might not realize it. He has a plan. His plan is to show Pharaoh exactly who he is. See, when life is hard, when life is hard, man, and we think it's too late, we've got to rely on the promises of God. That's why you've got to be in the Word of God. Because, see, if you're not in the Word of God, you're not going to recognize the promises of God. So you need to be in the Word of God so that you can, again, rely on the promises of God. The fourth proper response that they needed was this, was to go forward. To go forward. See, this is the only time that I can think of in the Bible where God actually tells somebody to stop praying. Moses is praying, and look at verse 15. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. See, see, when the Israelites finally decide to do these four things, when they finally decide, you know what, we're not going to fear, we're going to take a stand, we're going to rely on God's promises, and we're going to go forward, you know what their fifth response is? To expect great things from God. To expect God to work. See, this would have been amazing to see. It would have been amazing to see if you were an Israelite, not if you were an Egyptian. Because God literally causes the Red Sea to part. There's a wall of water on their right, there's a wall of water on their left, and they walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. That would be amazing, right? And so as they are crossing through, the Egyptians decide, you know what? We're going after them. We're going after them because Pharaoh's thinking, it was dumb of me to let them go in the first place. So we're going after them. So they're chasing after the Israelites on the dry ground that the Israelites just went through. And as they're walking, they start having trouble. Their their chariots begin to get stuck. Their wheels are are falling off. And you know what happens when the Israelites get to the other side? Those walls of water come crashing down and the entire Egyptian army is taken out. It's a miracle. And some people say, oh, that didn't happen. No, it didn't happen. It's uh, where, where the Israelites passed The water was only six inches deep. So God didn't have to. God didn't have to make the waters part. Well, think about that, man. If that was the case, then that means the most trained army in the world, the most skilled army in the world, the most powerful army in the world drowned in six inches of water. Man, that's a miracle. Right? That's a miracle, man. And so I'm telling you, if you respond to the lie from Satan that it's just too late by not fearing, by taking a stand, by relying on God's promises, and by moving forward, you can expect to see God work in your life, through your life, and for your life. But that doesn't happen. None of that stuff happens for the Israelites unless Moses stops making excuses. See, until Moses finally decides that he's not gonna be dominated by this idea that it's just too late for him, and until Moses decides that that I'm not gonna say I'm just too old or I've messed up too much, until Moses decides to say yes, none of that stuff happens. But when Moses says yes, two million people are set free. Two million people's lives are changed Forever great things, incredible things, miraculous things happen because Moses says yes to God. What will you say to God? What will I say to God? What will we say to God? See, some of the people in this room, you need to know that God brought you here for this moment, He brought you here to get your attention because if you will just say yes to God, incredible things will begin to happen in your life and in the lives of people who are around you. But unless you say yes to God, if you don't, things are never going to change. Things are never going to get better. And I'm wrapping up. You guys still with me? You still with me? I know we had a lot of points today. Okay, y'all still with me? But I'm wrapping up, trying to hurry. heard a story about two, two guys that went to a museum. One of the guys was a teacher, they were friends, and one of the guys was a, a professional chess player. And so they go into the museum, they're walking around, and they come up on this painting. In that painting, it was a, it was a picture of a chess game. And so, and so the chess player, professional chess player, he's amazed by this painting. He just stares looking at that painting for a long time. So his friend's like, well, man, I'm going to go walk through the museum, look at some other stuff. And so he goes through. And so when his friend walks through the entire museum, he comes back, and his, and his friend, this professional chess player, is still looking at that one picture. Because at the bottom of that picture, it had the words checkmate. And so he says, hey, man, we got to go. They're, they're about to lock up the museum. We need to get out of here. We need to get out of here. And he's like, hey, man, I want you to look at this picture. He says, did you see this picture? He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, man, if you look at this picture, this, this picture is all wrong because this picture says checkmate at the bottom of the picture. But, but if you look at the picture, if you look at the pieces, if you look at what's really going on, you're going to, you're going to see that that picture is wrong because the king in that picture, the king still has another move. And as long as the king has another move, the game's not over. The game's not over. As long as he's got another move, it's it's not over. Well, what I want you to know today is that no matter who you are and no matter what you're going through, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is still on the throne and he has another move. He has another move. And as long as the king has another move, it's not over. And so you and I, we need not to fear. We need to take a stand. We need to rely on God's promises, man. We need to move forward. And we need to expect God to do great things because it's not too late. It's not too late. The king is on our side. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, Here's the thing. I don't know where you're at in your spiritual life. But I can't help but think there's a lot of people here who are going through some things and they feel like it's just too late. It's just too late for me. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. And you think it's just too late for you to give your heart to him. You've done too much. It's too late. It's not too late. That's why you're here. Jesus is calling you to himself. And so if you're here today and you know you need to give your heart to Christ, you need to be saved. I don't think I'd be doing my job as a pastor if I didn't give you an opportunity to respond that way. And so if you know today is the day, that you need to give him your heart and life. I'm just going to ask right where you are that you raise your hand because I want to pray for you. Amen. Amen. You need to be saved today. Amen. It's not too late. Amen. Amen. It's not too late. You need to be saved. That's why you're here. Look, if you raise your hand, I'm going to ask right where you are that you pray this prayer. Father, thank you for bringing me into your house today. Thank you for orchestrating today so that I could realize that it's not too late. Father, today, I surrender to you. I confess my sins, Father, there are many But I acknowledge today that you sent your Son to die for me, to save me. I accept what you've done. I confess you as Lord. And I ask, Father, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can live the life that will be pleasing to you. Thank you for saving me. Father, I also want to pray for each and every person in this room who might be going through something difficult and they might feel like giving up. Father, it's not too late. You are able. You're on our side. So help us, Father, to expect big things from you. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. We'd like to thank you for listening and encourage you to visit our website at www.elevatechurch.ms so you can learn more about being blessed and blessing others at Elevate Church.